The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for a mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guests and hosts. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Hey there. Welcome to another fun-filled edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. I am your host, Lenny. I hope this podcast finds you well. Well, we finally visit Montana, and I talked to a cop up that way. Really cool dude. Great conversation. He has a lot of different experience in different realms, and so I thought it was a really interesting conversation. We learned a lot about some different stuff we don't normally talk about, and the guy was funny as hell, so... I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. But before we get to it, I got to give big thanks to my good friends over at OfficerPrivacy.com. If this week is any more proof, you know the war on cops is alive and well. Take the steps necessary to protect yourself because God forbid you're in one of these incidents where the mob comes after you. They will do anything in their power to make your life hell, including doxing you. That's where OfficerPrivacy.com can help. What they can do is take your information off those people search sites so those folks can't dox you. And there's two ways. You can do it yourself. Officer Privacy created a custom, easy-to-use software so you can quickly navigate through the top 30 people search sites and delete your information. They have instructions for each and every site, include a simple way to keep track of it all, and they provide access to their software free for 14 days. This is plenty of time to go through the sites and remove your information. Or be like me, and I know everyone wants to be like me, Sign up for the premium service, and they do everything for you. OfficerPrivacy.com staff of current and former U.S.-based law enforcement officers will remove you from the top 30 people search sites. Then they monitor those sites, and if you show up again, they take you off again. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I Googled myself. I'm not there. I'm not on those people search sites anymore. I'm a ghost. I love it. So go check out OfficerPrivacy.com. Now, I know I've been awful the last few weeks about getting music in there. And this is no different because I got some time restraints I'm running into. But I did want to mention something really quick, and then we'll get into the podcast. A couple days ago, I, I made a post uh, about the progress of the podcast. And I, I want to clarify a couple things. I am very grateful for how things are going. I have a really awesome fan base. You guys are ride or die. I have a strong core of you guys listening to the podcast. You guys are awesome. You guys interact. You guys tell people about the podcast. It's awesome. So I didn't want that to sound like an indictment on you guys. The, the thing that just frustrates me is anytime I post about the f- podcast on Facebook or Instagram, uh, for whatever reason, those posts don't do very well as far as the reach. And so it's hard for me as a guy trying to grow the podcast to get the word out there. So 
I do really rely on you guys to spread the word and help me continue doing this because as far as I can tell, you guys enjoy it. So I hope to keep this train going as long as possible. All right. Without any further ado, let's get right to the podcast. All right. Now the moment you've been waiting for, coming all the way from the land of Montana, my good friend and pal, Hannah Montana, everybody. Hannah, how are you doing today? How's Billy Ray? Uh, He's great. Uh, Every day he looks at me and he's disappointed. But, you know, I just got to do what I got to do. Got to make that bank. You know, I swore to myself I wasn't going to go on any wild rants right off the bat. But here we are. We, I think we need to address Miley Cyrus on the podcast because that's what everybody needs to know. What the fuck? <laughs> what the uh, fuck? Poor thing. I mean, are you, you feel sympathy for her? I mean, her dad was Billy Ray and then she was, uh, I, I guess I feel bad for her. I don't know. Should I not? I was going to say, I, th- I feel like a lot of the Disney kids kind of didn't do so well. Well, you know, I think she's probably at least a millionaire at this point. And, you know, her dad was like one of the coolest people ever in the 80s. So, you know, it could be a lot worse. Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of hurts my achy, breaky heart, if we're being honest. (laughs) We don't we don't want to do that. Yeah, I'll be here all night, folks, by the way. Let's uh, I guess Hannah Montana. Let's uh, get back on track here because that's what we do here on the Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. As we stay on track and talk about what we're supposed to talk about, you, my friend, are a deputy out in Hannah, Montana. How's that? It every day is a new experience. Uh, I wear many, many hats, and I love it. Now, is any of them an eight-point hat? I don't even know what that is. Are you kidding? You don't know what an eight-point hat is? I do not. Give your balls a tug, you Ted fucker. I'm unbelievably disappointed in you that you made a hat reference and you don't even know what an eight point hat is. It's the, it's like the, the dress uniform hat, the bus driver hat. Oh, Oh, is I think that's like an East coast thing. And I've never really done anything with law enforcement in the East coast. Cause I don't, I can't think of a single, maybe like California agencies have them, but I, I can't think of a single agency that I've seen that has those. Well, you guys all wear cowboy hats and spurs out that way. Right. Of course. And we have single action revolvers. I uh, have a take home horse. <laughs> now is it a crown Vic Horsia? That was bad. That wasn't even, <laughs> I'm going to strike that one from the record and pretend it never happened. You, I don't you, know. You're bad and you should feel bad. Yeah. I, I probably should just cancel myself at this point. <laughs> I don't know a lot about horses and I don't know the different breeds of horses. And I was trying really quick to come up with a pun and I'm stupid and it didn't happen. And I apologize to everyone out there. <laughs> so you, we're going to go a little off script here and everybody listening at home. Don't freak out. Variety's a spike, the spice of life here. Uh, it's all going to be there. We're just going to do things a little out of order, but you have a really, really unique experience when it comes to, first responder and second responder type things. You didn't start out as a cop, right? I did not. I I've done almost every aspect of responding. Uh, my, my firefighting experience isn't structure. So you can kind of strike me on the record on that one. But for the most part, I've done every, every level of, of first responding jobs that there is. So the first thing that, that you had that 
is really interesting to me because I don't think we've talked to anybody with this type of experience on the podcast. and may never will again, but the Wildland Firefighter. Enlighten me on what that is all about because I don't know anything about it except for when it's fire season, those dudes are all over the place. <laughs> so uh, I was National Guard for a couple of years um, after I was active and I got called up to do firefighting um, in my state and I wasn't particularly happy about it because it took away from the jobs that I was working and stuff. But I found after doing it, it was actually quite enjoyable. Um, but uh, when I first started, I was just kind of a like a crew leader. So you have like eight people underneath you and you your job is to just kind of manual labor um, and just destroy forestry in a very clear path so that a fire is guided in, in ways that, that the people who go to college and stuff to learn how to, you know, uh, burn the forest, but without damaging anything important, you know, the way that they dictate to you. So initially I was just, you know, uh, uh, basically the, uh, the, 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 the wit driver, you know, I um, told everybody where to go, told them to work harder and, and, and how to, you know, keep us in, in line and, and all that good stuff. And after doing that first year, um, I kind of enjoyed it. So I decided I was going to do it on my own time. So I did firefighting, wildland firefighting for four seasons. Um, and I was a Sawyer and a Sawyer is a guy who uses the chainsaw. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you kind of just follow around the regular crews and you saw down trees and stuff that are in the way, because what fires will do is they'll burn not only, you know, obviously they'll burn the tree, but they'll also burn the roots. And so they'll get under the line that you've created and start fires behind it. So it's really important that you remove those. And then I moved up to the position of uh, a crew boss. So I got to kind of guide the entire team and um, just kind of be a little bit more important at that point. I got to be honest, man. I had no idea that fires could get like, I mean, I guess I should know this, but I didn't know it. They could actually follow the root system underground. That's crazy. Oh yeah. Um, there's a, so sometimes they call it, it's one of the most dangerous things about wildland firefighting is the roots burning because it'll, the, the gases coming off the roots will burn through the ground and it'll make the ground actually boil like water does in a pot. And it's really soft. And we actually had a guy, he fell in one of these holes, one of these soft spots and it flash cooked his leg. He, he got to keep it, but he lost a, like, you know, I think like 80% of the skin on his, on his right leg. Oh. Um, and we had to life flight him out of there, but it's just one of those things where it's like, it's, it's, it's not something that you would ever think of. And it's when you're looking at it, it doesn't look real. Damn, dude, I've never heard of such a thing. I'm going to have to YouTube that when we're done. I'm yeah. sure there's some videos on it. And one of the funniest things that ever happened to me while I'm firefighting, I had a buddy, he was a team leader of mine in the guard, and um, he, the ash got on him when we, you know, it's pretty common, kind of expected that, but the ash got on him while we were working, and we are going back to camp, and all of a sudden, this dude looks like, oh my gosh, what's that movie? from like the nineties or eighties or the guy he's got like the deformed face and he finds love. You know what I'm talking about? Bro. I think you downloaded the wrong movie. <laughs> you know, usually I just skip the the story part and just go to the, the, you know, the, the, the good part, but damn, I don't know. I don't know what movie you're talking about, to be honest with you. Oh, I can't remember. Anyways, he, he swelled up because it had, uh, he had, he was allergic to um, poison Ivy and the poison Ivy oils 
or oak or whatever it was was still in the ash and it and it got all over him and he turned into this monster i mean it was just it was hard to look at him and i you know we 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 eventually like quarantined him just because we didn't want to see his face anymore <laughs> uh that's what my wife does to me <laughs> i would too Ooh, come on man you haven't even seen my face yet <laughs> actually i picture you as like a as like a george clooney if we're being honest yeah um basically or an ashton kutcher i'm right there mm, mm. yeah same. that's a good zone to be in yeah right there yeah a real ladies man <laughs> that should be like my next poll on facebook is what people think i look like I'm probably gonna get like a bunch of kevins from the office or mclovin somewhere in between there <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, yeah, the big weapons are coming for sure. Yeah, that <laughs> I'm was ugly motherfucker. So I don't want them. I don't. Want no, them to you're. Be- I, look like. I saw your picture. You're a beautiful man. Don't let anybody <laughs> break your heart. <laughs> so, here's what I'm curious about: wildland firefighting. Do the guys and gals that do that? I assume they have regular jobs throughout the year, but just during the fire season, they do that full time. Or how's that work? Yeah. So, so um, some people do. Uh, one of the most common things you'll hear is they do is they're usually EMTs or something of the like, and they work um, at like ski resorts and snowboarding and stuff, or they're college kids and it's a summer job. Um, and some people do it. There are people who do it full time. And in the winter um, they do operations to kind of keep the, to, to, I guess, to facilitate having a better season the next year. Um, so they'll do, you know, some in places like Oregon on the coast where it's, it rains, but it doesn't, you know, get like winter and snowy or anything they can they can have some controlled burns and stuff so there are people who do it full-time and then there's definitely most people have a second job who are usually like you know emts and stuff like that and like i said it's a lot of college kids that end up doing it because it pays really well but it's also one of the most physically strenuous jobs that there is um you know hiking alone is hard but when you also have to carry your burrito bag that protects you from the fire and you know your water and your equipment and your helmet and your fancy cotton yellow shirt and everything it's uh it's like it gets a lot harder and you know then you got to go do manual labor and then hike you know six more miles back out so uh, a lot of people do it one time and they're like man this fucking sucks and they never do it again what's what's the pay like for that (laughs) well when you're doing it for the guard it's god awful but when you're doing it for uh, a civilian crew you can make a lot of money i've heard people and this was but, you know, it's been a couple of years since I've, I've done anything with wildland just because it's too much to keep up with. But um, the last I heard, uh, I had a guy who said that he made, oh, man, it was like t- 10 or 12 grand on a civilian crew in a month. Wow. That's fucking, I mean, that's really great money, but yeah, the work probably sucks ass. Well, I mean, you don't, you don't get days off. You're going to be on, you're going to be out on the rotation for at least a month usually, you know, and you're going to, you're going to eat every day. You know, it's, it's like a 12 hour day. Um, somebody works night and somebody works days and, um, the night sucks. Cause you know, you're, you're a bunch of guys walking around in the dark woods trying to keep track of each other and, and not get burned over by the fire. And, uh, it, it, yeah, I always felt, I, I hated being on the, on the night crew. Usually the fires die down a little bit at night, but if it's big enough, it, it's not going to make a difference. Now that's, not what I told my wife though, but <laughs> sorry, dude, low, low hanging fruit. There it is. I'm waiting now, for a mom joke. It's coming. Yeah. It's it, you, that's what she said. Uh, so <laughs> <is> your mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I it was. 
not to skip around too much, but let me just ask you a question. So you're out there in the wilderness, bunch of dudes. I assume there's not very many facilities to take care of business. I assume that would be a place where you may shit your pants and it's just kind of accepted. I mean, does a bear shit in the woods? I think that's a rhetorical question that no one knows. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, I- I've shit my pants. I mean, making direct eye contact with people and nobody's ever said a word to me. So I'm assuming it's it's acceptable. <laughs> it's like pissing in the pool, man. Everybody does it. It's a power. It's power play when you look at somebody else while you're doing it. You- you're establishing dominance. Here's what I want to know. And this is here we go off the rails again. <laughs> is peeing in the pool acceptable? I mean, at this I point, say no. I just assume, I s- I assume no way. it's 90% pee. Uh, see, like, here's the thing. you got to know little kids in there, they're just letting it go. Yeah. They're just letting it go. But I think as an adult, you know, we joke about it. But if you're an adult and you pee in the pool, you're a degen. I'm just throwing it out there. You're a degen from upcountry. Shit. I'm screwed. You fucking degen. <laughs> man you gotta when you get in there and it's cool to the to the body and everything kind of just I, you relax and i don't man it's just hard to resist all right uh, they, they, they can't they can't tra- <laughs> they can't track it back to me i mean they might science is very extreme right now they might be uh-huh. able to you know, do the Could you imagine how screwed you'd be if when you were a kid they could track back to who peed in the pool? Like, could you imagine just how just how bad your school year would go? You know, I'm gonna get some lifeguard that's gonna, you know, send a message and be like, Well, the filtration system is so great and the chlorine or blah blah blah. It doesn't matter if you pee. No, just <laughs> take a piss before you go in the pool, you DJs. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, I would say that that's the most acceptable answer. Now, pissing in the hot tub, it's warm anyway, so nobody's going to know. But now, now tell me about this, okay, so you're talking about, we know for a fact that people are peeing in the pool. Now, I want you to think, how many times have you gotten that water in your mouth? Well, I'm not drinking it. Oh. It's not, it's not yeah, a water fountain, stupid, bro. that would be stupid, right? That'd be, be stupid to drink it. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> you're freaking me out here, man. You, here's the thing that really freaked me out. You know, you're talking about taking shits and mm-hmm. looking in people's eyes. I mean, where's the common yeah. decency? Can you at least like hide behind like a curtain like a toddler does? Or like, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, pretend you're not pooping or look away or look down or looking in people's eyes, man. That's a real power move, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there, that nothing else can establish dominance like that. That's my experience. You know, there's somewhere we could go with that, but we're going to keep talking about what we should be talking about. <laughs> It's probably a good idea. <laughs> so you moved on from the from the uh, you moved on from the wildland firefighting deal, and then you moved into EMS. Is that right? Correct. Is, was that like I, a natural progression? Is that where you were seeing yourself, your life going? So my mom, my, my gosh, I don't, should, I don't know if I should say this, but my mom's a, an NP, a uh, nurse practitioner, and my dad is a lab tech. So they both work in the medical field. So they would just kind of, they would use, they, they would sit there um, holding their unused textbooks that they bought me for a child as a child, you know, and just stare at me in disappointment because I didn't become a doctor or anything. And so, I don't know, I, I kind of just had like a, an interest in it. 
And uh, I, I like the idea of, of helping people, you know, in the sense of, of responding to medical emergencies and stuff. So I, I went into this and I was still relatively young when I did that. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I'm pretty young still, but, you know, younger. Um, but I went to that and, and uh, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Um, I'm going to be like my parents. I'm going to be helping people, you know, recover and, and getting them out of these horrible medical situations. And 99.9% of what I did was nursing home calls and crazy homeless people that peed and pooped on me and tried to bite me. And I think that just kind of I mean, there were the times, you know, the times that I helped people who were in, you know, serious medical need and, you know, was, was very fulfilling. And I'm not saying that the homeless, you know, that the transients or anything like that don't deserve care. It's just not, it gets, it burns you out really fast. So I didn't feel like I was helping anyone um, by doing those same calls over and over again. And unfortunately, a lot of the ambulance companies are a business. So even though, you know, that somebody doesn't need to be transported or that, you know, that they have addiction issues or something like that. They don't care. And they still make you call, you know, pull them and it's just wasting their money. And it's just, it's a, it's a hard um, thing to, to be a part of. So I ended up getting out of it, but uh, I did enjoy the times that I got to help people um, in, in a real way. I was going to ask, cause maybe you're the best person so far to, to kind of, answer this question but how would you compare the camaraderie with you know obviously your cop now we'll get into that but camaraderie between like ems and fire and like fire and ems and all that is it kind of the same type of brotherhood or is it a little bit different uh it's definitely a lot different for ems because ems a lot of um more (laughs) more pc people uh, exist in, in the, in the medical world than in the fire or the law enforcement or the military world. Um, and so you kind of, you can't say as, as, as horrible of stuff as you can say in the other jobs. Um, but there is definitely, you know, the same kind of, of, um, you know, camaraderie. I think it's strongest with fire and, and well, not with fire, but it's strongest with the military in my opinion. And, and, but it's, uh, strong, stronger in, in fire and law enforcement than it is in, in EMS. Now, I don't want to put you on a spot here, and this is a tough question, but camaraderie, is it best on the fire side or on the police side in your experience? Oh, definitely on the police side, <laughs> which I'm going to get some hate for that. <laughs> well, and um, I, I'm this, sure this is a police cut podcast. So if they came here, they knew what they were asking for. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to say it, it probably honestly depends a lot on where you work, because I think there's obviously some really, really, really fucking toxic police departments. And then there's some really great police departments with good leadership and people get along. And I'm sure the fireside's the same way where there's, you know, stations where guys all get along and they sleep in the same bunk beds, maybe the same race car bed. And then sometimes they don't get along and they don't share bunks and they don't share the race car bed. And I could see how that could be problematic. Oh man. I can't tell you how many times I fought over the red uh, car race, race car bed. See, I I should, like I said, in the beginning, I wasn't structured. I wasn't part of a department. So it's, I can't really compare my experience to theirs. So maybe they can argue that they, that it is better in that end. But in my experience, like the wildland firefighting with it's kind of a revolving door. So there's, it's just not as, is it's not as easy to build 
relationships there. But in law enforcement, you know, it's it's a lot like the military where, you know, you can hate your your leadership, but the guy that's next to you, the guy that does the horrible thing and suffers with you, that's where you get the real relationship. Now, let me ask you this. Does the wildland side, do they also have chili cook-offs and wee bowling tournaments? Hell no. Do we, do we look like oh, I can't make that jump? <laughs> they, do, they do real men's work over there. We'll just say that. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, I just I didn't know because I was gonna ask who had better chili, you know, the wildland side. I feel like I'm saying wildland, like I say other, which is not good. But anyway, the wildland side or the uh, structure side. I, but, if wildland tried, I'm sure they would smoke structure. No problem. Another joke to be made there, but I'll leave that alone. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you about my buddy Brad Williams over at Police Fit. You guys see him on the page every single Monday on Poorly Made Police Memes. Brad's going to help the new applicants and active officers smash their fitness and regain their health. Brad has 11 years experience in the fitness industry, 17 years in the military, and is also a first responder. He's going to share his experience and expertise to help applicants get their dream job and help active first responders regain their health. That's Police Fit, and I'll have a link for you on the podcast description. Back to the podcast. Then you moved, and you went to a... This is, and, and obviously we're not going to give away too much, but you went to kind of a odd law enforcement gig, right? Where you were basically, do I have it right? Security detail for a mayor in a decent sized city. Yes. Yes. Um, one of the more liberal cities in the United States. Um, and it, it's really, it's a really weird situation. And I like, you can count it or you don't. So you, one of the things right off the bat is their their standard was either you were law enforcement for a minimum of nine years and at that or eight years something like that, and I wasn't law enforcement at all at that point, um, at, or you were a deployed like a confirmed deployed uh, combat arms veteran. So what that means is you did a job in the military where you know it's you're you're not a support role, you're an actual actual combat role. And so it was it was really weird to me that those were the two um people who qualified for it. And it wasn't, you know, I mean like they confirmed like they would go through your DD 214, contact your chain of command and like make sure that that's actually what you were. And so it you know and then you would work for this this detail and but you were you also you would go through an interview and work and be a, a city employee, but you would also be working for a private security company. So it's re it's a really weird deal. I, I I never know how to explain it. You're kind of like it's. <laughs> I, my understanding is that they did it so that you it, all the liability if you messed up fell back on the security company and not the city. So they could just be like, oh, he's an idiot, and you know we'll blame them, you know and. Um, and, and so it was kind of a weird situation, but you did have an authority, you know, you had an arrest authority, but it was, it was kind of very minimal on what you could actually arrest on. Other than that, you were more of a security guard and you would just report it to the actual city PD. It's very weird to me that they didn't just have that city's cops doing it. And because the liability thing makes no sense to me, because then why wouldn't you have private security patrolling the streets or doing whatever, right? Exactly. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. So what was a typical day like for you in that gig? <laughs> so there was you either you were performing security. So you were either with the actual mayor or you were with the higher level city employees. 
Um, and your job was to just follow them around. Um, and you were in plain clothes, but you were, you know, you were armed, but you were plain clothes. And the mayor at that time, um, he was very anti-gun, you know, which is kind of the politics of that side, you know, anyways. And, you know, he, he wanted to make sure that we were armed. He wanted to make sure that we were either cops or, or military, but we could under no circumstances show that we were armed. And, and, so, and it was just one of the most hypocritical things ever. And uh, I absolutely that. And that's the reason I ended up leaving it is just I could not stand the, the politics that I was dealing with um, all the time. And then I had multiple um, run ins with situations involving a group that rhymes with um, fan, fan, fan Tifa. I, yeah, I think that works. Bland Tifa. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> and so it's just all kind of added up to me getting super worn out with that job as well. Um, and you know, I mean, at one point, um, and, uh, Fantifa took over the, uh, the, the state, the, 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 um, city building, the, oh my gosh, city hall and, uh, trapped me behind a door. Cause it was like eight of them and I couldn't hold the door anymore. So I just got to watch through a, a metal reinforcement door as they just trashed my, the, the main entrance room. So it was a great time there. I don't, I guess we can't get too into that. So. I just, I don't know why people put up with that shit, but I don't know. It, it's, it's wild to me what some folks will put up with to get votes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know. It's hard. You know, you have to appeal to your, to your demographic, you know, and, and unfortunately some people are seen by certain demographics as good guys and they shouldn't be. And, so it's hard to condemn somebody outright and still get voted in. And it, I don't know, it's a, that's a long political conversation. And, and I, I, no matter what, you'll be wrong every time. You got tired of that bullshit. And then you went to some new bullshit. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. <laughs> so um, I became what's colloquially known. Am I using that word like colloquially? Uh, You're asking known as the wrong a- guy for verbiage. <laughs> questions but go on um known as a truck pig you know i think that's a a term of love it's an endearment term you know um i was a a federal this is a federal um commercial motor vehicle law enforcer um and which is one of the most complicated you know i went into it thinking like this is gonna be boring and i'm gonna hate it but it's kind of like my foot into the door to regular law enforcement um and for the most part, I was correct, but it was, it, I, I don't look down on the people who do that. Cause it is a, it is a complicated job and there's so many exemptions and so many things that you have to remember. And it has its own specific case law and it's just not really well put out there. And all of these companies have lawyers that they have on retainer. So you're constantly testifying in court, constantly dealing with lawyers who are usually higher end because they make a lot of money. And so it's a, it's a hard job and you're, and you're dealing with people who hate you because lot truckers have like no freedom. And I mean, it's hard to blame when they get mad about it, but their job is one of the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Regulated. Yes, one of the most regulated jobs in America, and they just have no freedom whatsoever, which it's kind of hard to say that or I should, I'm not disagreeing with that because when they're, you're driving an 80,000 pound vehicle, you know, going 80 down at the interstate, uh, you shouldn't be drunk off your ass or something like that. So 
Um, I'm not against it, but it's a hard job to do. And they hate the us because we have a, they had, they hated the, the law enforcement because they had an unlimited authority. I mean, I don't, you don't need a search warrant. You don't need um, PC. I can just be like, Hey man, I want to go in your car and they have to let me do it. it. As long as I'm, you know, performing an inspection or something, obviously, but um, it's uh, one of those things. And, and it's not something that a lot of people hear about. I didn't even know that the job existed until I did it. Well, so let me ask you this, because my understanding <laughs> is because you you called yourself a truck pig right yeah okay so in case anybody didn't know what that terminology is it's a motor carrier cop i thought the states did that is that a federal thing too where there's feds doing that also yes so there's there's the federal fmcsa it's the federal motor carriers oh my gosh fmcsa fired yeah, fired. I, I quit that job a while ago, so I'm, it's all kind of I, I dumped all of that as soon as I quit it. <laughs> um, it's Federal Motor Carrier Safety Act or something like that. Safety. Anyways, somebody can Google it and tell me what it is now. I'm not. I don't, have, I don't want to put that much energy into it. But anyways, so they there's those are the federal people who dictate you know the standards and stuff for the the commercial vehicles, and then the states um, who take funds for the interstate and the highway systems they basically have to have cops that enforce those laws. And so that the way stations and stuff that you see along the side of the road, those are those cops that do that job. And, and it's, and in the end, it's just so that the States can maintain the funding to keep their roadways good. Um, and, that, and, and, and especially the state that I worked in, if they had an option, they would never do it because a lot of the, co- the people on the state legislation owned trucking businesses. So they absolutely hated us as well. Um, so it's this balancing act of like, what do we have to do? And then we're going to give you guys absolutely nothing because we hate you anyways. And you all suck and you should die. I mean, that's a bit extreme. (laughs) So on the federal side of that, where were you stationed at? Were you at a port of entry or on the side of the road or were you stopping trucks or how was that working? So I, I went, I, I started as a, uh, as a, in, in the scale. And then I went to being a mobile guy. Um, and so there's the, the scale guys kind of just mainly do the inspections and stuff. And the mobile guys are there for the more local people who get to avoid the, the main roads. And, um, so I got to do patrol, you know, stuff after a while, about halfway through my, uh, couple years there. Now, and that's not as a state trooper, but that is as a federal employee, right? Negative. So it is a state employee. Okay. I thought you were, um, I'm sorry. Not, I got confused. I thought you were doing it for the feds. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> do I look like I'm that smart? Uh, <laughs> I was a state employee. I was kind of adjacent to a state trooper. Um, uh, my department, the department that I worked for started off as a, as a, as a additional duty you could do with the troopers, but it, re- it required such a specified knowledge that they eventually just split them off into their own thing. I gotcha. So at that point, had you been through an academy and were sworn in that state? Yes. Okay. So that, all right. Now that answers my questions for that. Cause I wasn't sure. Cause I know a lot of States and I'm sure the troopers will blow me up. I think that's basically like a special assignment. Like, Hey, you want to go do something different for a little while? Fuck with truckers. Right. Yeah. I gotcha. So let's talk about a typical day doing that shit. So you're at the scales. What's that day like for you? Uh, I just look at my phone and watch YouTube. Really? No, no. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I'm going to go apply for, today. 
Yeah, yeah, no. You know, in reality, if you're retired law enforcement and you but you still want to do law enforcement, but you don't want as high of a risk of job, that is perfect. That is that sweet spot right there where you're still doing stuff, you still get to feel cool at moments, but for the most part, it's um eight, nine to five. You just do pretty simple, you know, things. And there's not, you don't need warrants or any of that stuff. You don't have to worry so much about liability. Um, and so I it, and it's a you know good good benefits and everything. So it's a really good spot for somebody who's kind of towards the end of their career. It's not something if you, if you want to be in law enforcement and you had this dream of how it was going to be, it's not a good thing to go into from the beginning. Um, but on a daily, you know, you, you have, so there's two sides, there's the state laws that apply to, to commercial motor vehicles. And then there's the federal laws and the, you know, for at least for my department, we had authority under both. So you know, there's the height, weight, size requirements that commercial motor vehicles had to meet. And then there's the safety standards, the federal standards that they had to meet as well. So I would go throughout my day looking for people who were violating the state laws for height and weight and stuff like that and uh, violating the safety standards for their vehicle equipment, for their hazardous materials they were hauling um, and stuff like that. But like I said before, there's there are exceptions for exceptions. Uh, I mean, hazmat alone, you know, they'll be like under no circumstances can somebody who doesn't have a hazmat uh, endorsement on their commercial motor vehicle license haul hazmat unless you're a farmer, but that farmer has to be, have a placarded, you know, uh, hazmat tank, but they don't have to have a tank that meets the, uh, you know, the, the hazmat tank um, requirements for testing and stuff like, and it's just, it's like, you know, so you, you just keep going down this, this, uh, this rabbit hole of exceptions to exceptions and it's uh, very complicated and you constantly are, you know, having to remind yourself and read books and, and I'm not good at reading out about you, but um, I'm terrible. Were the truckers not big fans of you guys or they are? Right? It, it really was like any other job. I mean, it just kind of depends. Some days you get the guys who are like, you know, you know, you're, you guys are, you guys are, uh, you know, tyrants and you know, we have no rights and stuff. And, and then you have the guys who are just like, you're just doing your job, you know? And, and so it was kind of just a 50, 50, you know, some, but the guys that didn't want to deal with you, they would make it known and they would be like that through the entire ordeal. What was the craziest I don't know how to quite articulate this because I don't know enough about it, but was one of the more crazier things you saw it during that job? <laughs> oh man, I can. So there's, so there's like the, so there's, there's two categories of that. There's drivers and then there's vehicles. Um, I saw a vehicle. It was a, it was a truck, you know, semi truck, semi truck and pulling two trailers. So doubles. Uh, it's, uh, it's known as a Rocky mountain doubles has a longer front trailer and a shorter back trailer. And, um, he had one working break. Oh, and by saying one working break, I mean, there are, there should have been, okay, let me think, uh, six and then 10 and then 14. So there's 16 breaks on this, on this vehicle. One worked. So with something like that. I mean, does that guy get fined and like a ticket and he can't leave until the thing's fixed or how's that work? Yes. For the most part. Yeah. So for that state, for the state that I worked in, no, there were big fines because a lot of the, it just wasn't in comparison to other tickets. Um, And so he would, I would notify, I would mark down all of the, the things that were wrong with that vehicle 
And then it would be put out of service is what the term is. And there's a booklet that says everything that's considered an out of service. And, um, you know, he would be informed of all these things that were, that I'd found that was wrong with the vehicle. He'd get fines for it. Um, some States are weird about that. Some States you can't get a ticket for it unless you've, unless you'd already been told that about it and then ignored it. Um, some States will give you a ticket for every single tiny little trailer light that's out. So um, it's kind of uh, there's not really a standard of what you will and won't get tickets for. But when you get like major safety things like that, um, you definitely try to, to, you know, correct that behavior. So he'd be placed out of service. He'd have to get it fixed at the spot. He could not take it to a town. He couldn't, you know, drive it down the road, nothing like that. Like you will get as a mobile mechanic and you will fix it right here, right now. Um, and then here's your fine. And, and if you, and if they left, you know, let's say that they took off and didn't actually fix it. Um, the fines would just continue to, to increase in rate and the out of services would get worse and worse. So, um, I mean, he, he'd get fined, his business would get fined into the ground. And then the, uh, the, the end of that is the more that these guys get out of services and stuff, um, the more that their safety rating goes up, um, the higher the safety rating, the worse it is. And so eventually you get audited and auditing can, uh, you know, completely shut down a business. Really? So it's like Yelp for truckers. Exactly. I'm sure it's exactly the same. And they are so particular about it that they would, um, they would say like, Hey man, give me a ticket, but don't put it on the inspection. I mean, they were, they were, that's how dedicated they were to not having their safety rating go up. Now, before we get into the, the lives of truckers and we won't spend too much time on that, but are you familiar with the case out of Colorado where the guy didn't use the runaway ramps and then rammed into a bunch of people? And like I, killed like I'm not people? particular with that one, but before we go into that, I have to say, it cause I'm gonna forget this. Are you particular? Do you remember the case from a couple years back where a trucker killed almost an entire herd of antelope? Um, just, I think it was like Northeast of Colorado or of Denver. I mean, no, man, I don't follow the antelope times. <laughs> it's big man you're missing out i didn't um, hear about that. how did i not hear about that i fucking love antelope <laughs> so this majestic well, piece it wasn't even uh it wasn't even a uh an accident i mean he went out of his way he he drove he went out of his way to hit everyone that he could and so they you know they they this uh fishing gate we heard that the state troopers were there looking for him the denver police was trying to find him i i I might be wrong about that but uh fishing game were trying to find him and he actually i'm the one that actually ended up finding him um after that happened but um yeah he he just went out of his way to smoke and like i think it was like 30 or 40 antelope all right i have to google that right now (laughs) i don't know how to spell antelope a-n-t-e-l-o-p-e Truck hits herd of antelope. Thanks, Google. <laughs> 47 antelope? Yep. Holy shit. Wow. Oh, wait, yeah, hold I, on. I you said 46? He, I can't okay. remember if he ran away from you guys or not, but something like that. Wait, hold on a second. So one article says 47, the other one says 6. I, it's going to be oh, like the pickup truck. Oh, here's another. Oh, that's elk. Man, there's a lot of people in Colorado that like fucking hitting them. <laughs> well, I can't find uh, a, like an actual article on it, but that's that's fucking nuts, man. So well, you found and, him, I mean, man. his car, his truck was white, but when it came in, 
I thought it was like this weird brownish red color until we realized what was actually on it. Wow. And just for context, you were not a motor carrier officer in Colorado. I was not. So he made it a little bit with all the, the poor old pronghorn on it. Yeah. Wait, I, is there a difference between pronghorn, pronghorn, no, pronghorn no. sheep? And yeah, I don't think they're, yeah, I think it's the same thing. I like yeah. antelope better. I feel like that's you, a better you, term. It rolls off the tongue, you know, it doesn't sound like some weird goat thing. Pronghorn sheep or antelope. Yeah, it, that's an easy decision. But now I'm questioning if it's the same thing. But I'm not going to Google Antelope um, produces the, the image of, of gracefulness, you know, even though they're like weird little speed goats. They are speed goats. And uh, sometimes if they get that meth off of uh, downtown Denver, they are really fast. Dude, I bet the antelope on meth in, in Denver are probably just like one of the worst public safety issues. That's You know what? Denver is a beautiful, clean city besides the antelope just fucking running amok. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Somebody needs to do something about the antelope running amok on the 16th Street Mall. I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, you know, I don't know if you are. You know, I know you're you were you're a Colorado guy, but uh, I am a massive Broncos fan, which is hard to be with how the NFL treats you know cops and stuff. But I am a massive Broncos fan, and I will defend them to the day I die. Yeah, dude, it's it's painful for me not to be into it. In my my 12 year old, which I, I've said on the podcast before, he's super in the NFL. And it's like one of those things where I'm like, all right, do I tell him, well, no, you can't watch it because I don't like it. I vote no to that. I'll let him make his own decisions, I guess. You know, I've told him why I don't like watching it. Um, But then it's like, that is good quality time hanging out with your kid watching football on Sundays. So it's, it's tugging at me a little bit. I I don't know what I'm going to do this season, but I mean, you got to, obviously you got to root for the Broncos. Anybody else that's not rooting for the Broncos. I'm, I'm surprised we're not rooting for the Broncos right now. I, I go back and forth on this. It's it's hard for me because, like, you know, I don't want to buy Nike because of the stupid people that hire spokespersons and stuff, and I don't want to go to Starbucks, you know, but it's – I think it's kind of like a – it's a dumb idea to be like, oh, I don't like something that you did, so I'm just going to not – completely not support you, or, you know. I, well, I shouldn't say it's dumb, and I get why people do it, but um, I think that if we're ever going to get past, like, the divisiveness we have in our country, we should be able to say, like, you have a different opinion than me, and I'm okay with that. I don't agree with it, but I'm okay with that. And I think that's so hard for people. And I think that the the idea of like, I'm not going to do something because you did something that I don't like. Um, I mean, unless it's like an extreme, you know, you don't go out and, and go to Al, you know, Al Qaeda martyr or whatever, you know, but um, uh, you know, if you, if just because somebody doesn't agree with you, doesn't mean that, you know, you should just completely hate them and, and not agree, you know, say that they they have no opinion of value whatsoever. To be fair, to be fair, to be fair, <laughs> That was that that was the most glorious thing ever. Yeah, that was a long one. That's what she said. <laughs> I, I'm I'm conflicted because I'll, I'll go with the two examples you gave: Nike and Starbucks. Nike to me is worse than Starbucks because I think it's like kind of a proven thing now that a lot of their shit is made in China, and it's kind of like indentured service. And you're basically like you're paying child labor to get the shit made. Which let's be honest. To be fair, and I'm not gonna play it again. To be fair, a lot. Oh, to be fair, a lot of the shit we buy is made in China, and it's it's a problem. Like we need to deal with that as a country at some point. Like, hey, you know, maybe we should not buy.
buy shit from them, but then but then people don't want to pay more for stuff. And so it's going to cost more. And I don't know. It's there's a whole lot to that. Nike yeah. specifically, though, you know, obviously I don't like most of their spokespeople. And then they got like a guy on their board that like killed a guy when he was a teenager. So it's kind of like some hypocritical shit. And then Starbucks, I don't know enough about Starbucks to make a really formulated opinion. Like I know their, their brass doesn't like us. So it kind of sucks to give them money, but I got to say as a cop in uniform, and I know not everybody's had the same experience. I was treated perfectly fine in every single Starbucks I ever went into. And they always treated me well there. So it's like, all right. So if I don't go there, then it may affect these good people that work there, even though I don't like the company. So it is kind of this fucked up conundrum where like, I know a lot of people don't like Disney right now with good cause, but it's like, fuck, you know what I mean? Like I like Kenobi, I like the Mandalorian. So you're kind of put in this really fucking awkward spot where it just kind of sucks. And this is a bigger debate about the politics of everything. Like everything's political. Like these, these things were before we're, for entertainment. And I'm not saying entertainers can't have opinions on things, but like, like you were saying, everything is so divisive, man. I just want to watch star Wars, man. And like you get on the internet forums of star Wars and it's, you know, each side is claimed star Wars for themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. I just want to watch star Wars. Okay. I just want to watch star Wars. I just just want to watch a football game, man. I just want to watch baseball. I just, it, Everything at this point is so intertwined where you can't get away, which is honestly the page, man. I try to fuck and I'm guilty as not as anybody, but I'm, I'm pretty guilty of, you know, occasionally politics will creep in this page and po- on the podcast where I just, and I, I just don't want to deal with it all the time, man. I just want to fucking like, I don't feel like anybody has a normal life anymore because everything's so fucking intertwined where there's no separation from politics and church and state and, everything's this big glob of shit right now. Yes. Yes. I uh, completely agree. And I, you know, I think the two party system and I'm sure everybody will ever say this, but it's just completely screwed this country Um, because now it's, you know, you, there can be no middle ground whatsoever. And and people are like, Oh, there's a libertarian party, but the the libertarians are so far in their own world that it's, it's like, that's not a middle ground at all. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, you can't just, I guess I like my examples. I was listening to, to um, Ben Shapiro, which I'm not like a giant fan of his or anything, but I, you know, every now and then I listen to what he has to say. Cause sometimes he just makes sense on some stuff, but um, I was listening to Ben Shapiro, but then he's talking about like the war in Ukraine and he's like, Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a liberal, you know, plot to, you know, I don't know, get to protect their interest in Ukraine and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure Russia just invaded the country and, and it doesn't have to be a liberal thing and could just be, you know, one country is aggressing against another one and we should probably help them out since they're the little guys and we're the big guys. And that's kind of like what we should do. So, you know, it's just stuff like that. I don't know whether people, I'm, people are going to come for me on that one. I probably shouldn't have expressed that opinion, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm kind of of the same opinion. Like Ukraine's probably not the greatest country in the world. It's not, but they're like a giant, like how would you feel like if, I don't know, somebody, you know, Canada, obviously they fucking only have hockey sticks they came after us or whatever. Like we feel like we need to defend ourselves, even though people may say that, you know, our country's not perfect. There's not a perfect country out in the world. I hate to say it. Every, yeah. every country has its issues. Not that's the other thing people like, uh, I feel like every other shitty country, every other shitty country, there you go. 
is using, you know, bashing America because it's it's fucking convenient. It makes them look better. America's oh, still yeah. not a terrible place. Like, there's problems here. There's fucking problems here, but we really don't have it that bad. Oh, the fact that they dare throw tomatoes at us in our ivory tower just infuriates me. We should tar and feather them. <laughs> so I've been to a couple of countries with the military and, and I can confidently say that this is the the best place on the planet to live. And I've been to some of the best countries in the world and some of the worst, but none of them compared to the freedoms that we have here. And people take that for granted. And, it, and it's something that I talk to about in schools and stuff um, when we're talking about like suicide awareness and stuff is that people's worst days, it's relative. You know, it, 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 the just because, you know, so like, you know, somebody who grew up in Africa in, in the midst of constant civil war and, and you know, in, in horrible living conditions with unclean water and stuff versus an American who grew up, you know, every now and then he didn't get lunch when he wanted it or something like that. You know, and I'm not saying that that's the the everybody's experience i'm sure there's worse ones than that and stuff but that's just kind of my example here the the time that that kid didn't get a ps1 for his birthday that is his worst day and it has the same emotional response it elicits the same emotional response in that person as it does to somebody living in you know as the, as the person living in africa but the problem is, is they have no context they have no idea how much worse it could actually be and i think that's part of the problem that we're seeing in this country is that people don't look outside of their own world to realize what actually could be what's an what an actual issue is and you can't make people understand either and, no. and I'm guilty of it too, man. Like I might have a bad day on my page or, or whatever. Like, you know, my reach sucks and I'm like, fuck, this sucks. My world's collapsing. I have a fucking house. I have food. It's all right. It's totally good. It, you're right. Everything's all relative because it, this is like fucking really cliche, but you don't know what your neighbor's going through or what somebody else is going through. Like, you know, celebrate your victory, celebrate the good things and bad things are shit happens, but just, God, it's not that bad. And I, I just wish that we could just kind of move. We're not, I, I don't know. I, I want, I want to say we're going to move past it and be positive about it, but I, I just, everything's so fucked right now. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that it's ever going to get better, man. I can't see it getting better, but I could be wrong, man. I could be wrong. There could be something that brings us all together and, and things get better, but I just, everything's a fucking shit show. Everything is about politics. Everything's about picking a side. And, you know, if you're in the middle ground, you get fucking shit on by everybody. If you're on, mm -hmm. it's just, everything's just a gob of shit, man. That's, man, we peaked in the nineties. Nineties was the perfect level of like, don't be a racist, you know? And like, but like, you know, not, not, you know, but it, just because you're white, you know, you're automatically racist. Like that's, that wasn't a thing back then. So it's, um, you know, it's, I think the nineties was like the peak for our culture on like racial sensitivity and stuff. And now the pendulum just swung all the way to the other side and, and we're just way out there in the left field now. I mean, we did have the Watts riots in the nineties. We had Dunkaroos in the nineties. I don't, dude, I think it was so great because we were kids. Yeah, that's fair. Seeing it through a patina. What did you just fucking say? <laughs> is that still a, is that still a, a, a saying? You know, we have a patina on it. You know, we, we see it through. Um, uh, what's the through? I can't remember. Like ro rose colored glasses or whatever they're calling. That it. may I don't know what a patina is, but I do know what rose colored glasses are. Okay. Well, that just got weird. We should move on. <laughs> I did want to ask you about truckers, though, before we get on to where you're at now, because. And I think everybody that's traveled on an interstate knows 
But man, those truckers are some unique folks. I'm sure you've experienced a few. Oh my God. You know, it, it takes, that is a job that I would never do. I mean, that is a job that would, that would suck so bad. And, um, I don't understand how people do it. I, I, I drive around a lot in our job and, and it drives me crazy. Um, just constantly sitting down and, and having to drive around, but, um, so it takes a special kind of person and, and there are people, there are, there are truckers who are extremely professional, take their job very seriously. Um, their trucks are their babies and it's amazing. I always love dealing with those people. And then, um, there's the ones who, um, weren't the most social people or the best at being social. So they took a job where they could avoid humans. And it, and it was very, it was glaringly obvious that that was the case when we did deal with people like that. Um, and unfortunately, um, in like a lot of other jobs, there's a, there's a frequently a, uh, a hygiene issue. Um, I'm trying to be as, as sensitive as I can about that, but uh, I, I'm sure a lot of truckers would agree with me. Uh, <laughs> there, there were truckers who would walk into the scale and I'd be like, dude, you need to go outside. I can't, my eyes are watering. Oh. And <laughs> it's so, I had one person, they had six cats in this tiny, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen a semi trucks. I mean, it's got the little bed in the back. It's six cats in there. It was disgusting. Yeah. That's fucking gross. I, I did want to give a little shout out and I know, I don't even know if this guy's still alive or, and I'm sure he'll never hear this podcast, even though millions of people listen to it. But when I was just out of high school, I worked overnights at a, at a small truck stop off the interstate and it was a terrible job, but there was a guy that was a trucker, a UPS guy or no, there was three guys. So shout out to three guys, not all at the same time. That's what she said. So the first guy was a local guy and he would come in every other morning and you know, he's probably in his thirties or forties, definitely an alcoholic dude was the funniest fucking dude I ever met and had such a proud, profound effect on me, but he, I, I'm sure he never knew it. And then there was two guys that were FedEx guys that would travel from California, I think out to Chicago once a week. And so I'd see them on their way out. It was like clockwork, them coming out. And I look forward to that every single fucking week because they were such good dudes and so you don't know me and I don't know you, but you guys were fucking awesome and had a profound effect on young me Lord. I mean, Lenny or whatever the fuck my name is. <laughs> so I, I do have a deep love for the truckers. That's what she said. <laughs> that's what the law lizard said. Yeah. I can't believe some guy complained that I said, that's what she said too much on the swinger podcast. How could I not? <laughs> How could I not? It's not even a question. How dare you, sir? every opportunity that that can be said, it needs to be said. Yeah. Come on, man. For Michael Scott. <laughs> All I, right. you know, I like said there, there's a lot of truckers who were really good at their jobs and I, it's a, it's a hard job and takes a special kind of person. And, but there are a lot of people I'm like, dude, you just got to take a shower. I'm sorry. I, I've kind of thought about, I like to drive. I really like to drive. I obviously I don't think being an over the road trucker with the amount of kids I have is a good idea, but sure. I mean, that's what she said. No, that doesn't, that's, <laughs> that's just, that's fucking stretching it too far. That's what she said. Um, but <laughs> so I don't know, man. I just, I like the idea of driving all over the country, seeing the country, depending on your routes, you do get to see the same, the, the country, but I'm sure you get to see the same part of the country. And that could be, I guess it depends on who you work for. You know, if you work a carrier where you get sent all over the place or you work 
a route, but man, I'd fucking love getting sent all over the place. If I was a single guy, it, it would be something that I would maybe do for like a year or two. And then I'd, I'd be like, okay, that's enough of that. That's what he said. Moving on. <laughs> so now you've moved on from the motor carrier thing. And now Mr. Hannah Montana, you are now a deputy. What? what? Now I'm a Brown boy. Is that what you call yourself? Hell, hell yeah. I mean, that's what I wear. That's fucking awkward. Just um, a walking turd. A walking turd. I <laughs> do you get to wear cowboy hats though? <laughs> so I'm from Alaska and there's this little known fact. Alaskans have like a, a deep seated uh, anger towards Texans. Um, because when the Alaska pipeline was being made, uh, the company, the oil company shipped in a lot of, uh, Texans cause they had experience with it. And the Alaskans didn't like that. Cause it was like, Oh, they're take, they took our derbs, you know? Um, so my dad, um, was always like, Oh, those damn Texans. And, you know, my whole life growing up. And, um, and so <laughs> I, I told myself, I was like, I'm never going to wear cowboy boots and I'm never going to wear a cowboy hat and under no circumstances will I ever do that. Um, and then when I became older, it was just cause like, I looked like a, a fucking poser, you know? And, and I do have, I do that shit already enough as it is. So, um, <laughs> when I got to this job, I'm looking at the dress uniform and there's a, a white, you know, cowboy hat that goes with the dress uniform. And I was like, for the love of God, do not make me wear that. And, um, they thankfully made an exception for me because <laughs> my head is so damn big. They couldn't find a hat that would fit me. That's like a religious exemption, I think. <laughs> you said I, I just said, I'm, I'm, uh, my religion says that I can't wear a cowboy hat. I, I'm really curious about this Texas Alaska rivalry that I had no idea existed. <laughs> no, I don't think the Texans know it exists either. <laughs> really? That's, man, this might start a new civil war. Like we <laughs> well, thought it was going to start in different places, but it's going to be between Alaska and, texas and all of a sudden you're gonna see herds of caribou coming down from alaska caribou in alaska right or should i go with moose yes yeah you nailed that one caribou moose either way all right there's gonna be caribou and horses there's gonna be let me try that again there's gonna be caribou and mooses coming down from alaska and then all the steers are coming up from texas and it's gonna be they're gonna fucking meet in like utah or colorado and one of the biggest battles is gonna be fought there lord have mercy on their souls yeah, um, I'm I'm for it. I'll be I'll be repping Alaska so hard. <laughs> Tell me this, meme lord. Let's if, do it. If a goose is a goose and a moose is a moose, but a pack but a group of of goose are geese, would a group of moose be meese? There is no doubt that they're meese. <laughs> you didn't know that? It's in every single biology book. I love that comedian um Brian. I can't remember his last name, but he's he's like, you know, when the, his teacher asked him, you know, he did that bit where he's like, when his teacher asked him like what a, what the plural for moose is, he's like, I, I don't know, me meese, meesen. You know what? I fucking love that bit. I'm really curious about your time in Alaska, man. It was now that you've lived down here in the lower 48, is Alaska like fucking weird or are we weird? Oh, you guys are all weird down here. How so? It's it's like an imperceptible thing. You know, you guys, for some reason, think that the day and night need to be a, a constant cycle. Um, and it doesn't. I'm here to tell you that. I know that for a fact that the world would go on if the sun never set. I don't believe you. <laughs> 
so where I grew up in Alaska, um, during the summer, the sun does not set. There's a period about 3 a.m. where the sun kind of dips real low and it's kind of like early morning light, but then it pretty much comes back immediately and the sun goes right back up. But doesn't that fuck with your sleep though? Oh god, yeah. Um, so there's a there's a I think it's called like Alaska sickness or sun sickness or something, but it's a term for people who, who move to Alaska from somewhere else, but they essentially go crazy because their vitamin D levels go get all whacked out and um, their sleep schedules are all weird and they can't get it fixed because they're so used to a day night cycle that it just, it just drives them insane. And they just start eating their own faces. They eat their own face. I feel like that may be an exaggeration, sir. Oh, I would never. Have you ever seen anybody eat their own face? It was it was brutal, but yeah. Come on. <laughs> no, obviously oh. not. I would have I thought, loved it. I, I thought we were about to hit the greatest story on this podcast ever. <laughs> that I wish I could say I, I I can lie. I can do that. Well, don't nobody likes a liar. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so day and night cycle, you know, that's one thing. Um, the coldest I have ever experienced in my entire life was negative 74 degrees. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> and that's before wind, wind, uh, wind kill or anything like that. So, um, it, it was so cold. <laughs> it's so cold that when you walked outside, your skin hurt. I mean, it just, it hurt. That's not cool, man. <laughs> Let's jump back into policing things. And I want to jump back to a question I normally would ask at the beginning of the podcast, but you had such a interesting origin story that we, we kind of missed it. But what was your why? What was your reason for getting into law enforcement? Uh, so uh, the Alaska State Troopers, I don't know if they still do, um, but uh, they used to wear beaver skin hats as part of their uniform. And when I was a little kid, I thought that was so bitching that I was like that that is my, that is my origin story. That is why I'll become a superhero to wear the beaver skin hat. Do you have a beaver skin hat? I do not. <laughs> I have not accomplished my goals yet. Or Somebody beaver... get this man a beaver skin hat. <laughs> I would, I will die. If I would, I would be eternally grateful if somebody could provide me a beaver for, I believe it's beaver for, I might be correct, incorrect, but um, it's like a, it's a, they have their, their fur hats that they wear. And if somebody can get me one of those, I would be a very happy man. But um, so that was, that was like my introduction to like, man, cops are cool. Cause I, I saw the Alaska state troopers and I was like, man, those guys are so cool. Um, and then my parents moved me all over the, the United States and uh, I joined the army. Uh, we kind of touched on that, but um, I joined the army and I did that for quite a few years. And when I got out of active, I was like, you know, I, 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 I want to do stuff where I'm still helping people. You know, I, my favorite thing is that um, I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be the guy um, that was going to pull somebody out of their worst day that, you know, I could, I could be there for people, um, who were, who didn't know how they were going to get through it. And, um, this is the job that has most met that goal for me. So that was my, that was my real reason is I, I wanted to be the guy to be there for people. And sometimes that means that I'm taking them to jail. And if that's how they get to you know getting their life on track then that's what it is and sometimes it's me um going into a collapsing mine or driving up in the middle of the mountains to a flipped over side by side i mean it's uh, every day is a new thing yeah i gotta imagine being a deputy in hannah montana is really interesting because there's probably a lot of uncommon stuff that happens out there so you have to be kind of well versed 
Oh my gosh. I, I can't tell you. I mean, I've, there's no, um, you know, I don't have detectives, you know, when I hear the other cops on here talk about um, their different departments and their different roles and stuff, it just blows me away because I don't have that at all. I, I'm it. I am the SRO. I'm the coroner. I'm the homicide investigator. I'm the, you know, interdiction guy. I'm the, I am everything. And um, it's, and it is all on me. You know, when they, when I hear the guys talking about how I need somebody to roll with me on this call or whatever, we don't have that option. We have 12 guys to cover a County, the size of New Hampshire. And there's only three of us on a good night, you know? So one guy is dealing with a, with a, a suicidal male with a, with a firearm while the other guy is dealing with a large meth bust, you know, and, and, and the third guy's dealing with a coroner call. I mean, it's, it's stuff like that. Like it, it's, it's crazy to me how different my job is. And I honestly love it because I don't have to give up the good cases to people who um, don't really deserve it. You know? Well, let me ask you this. Cause now I'm curious. So you get a, like you get a homicide. Is there a state agency that comes and helps you or is that your start to finish? Yes. So if it's like, if it's going to be a complicated one, we usually hand it off to the state agency simply because they have the most resources and the most training to handle that. If it's something that's pretty cut and dry, we'll do it ourselves. I gotcha. So, well, I mean, I think anybody's a cop, you know, what, what something cut and dry is and what something isn't. Yeah. Um, so cut and dry would be like, uh, like <laughs> I'm trying not to use like too much of a specific from a real world example, but um like a husband shot a wife and then walked next door and was like hey i just shot my wife you know that's we don't really require you know it doesn't require a lot of work for that you know i mean we gotta we gotta process the scene and and you know get the body sent to the crime lab and all that but for the most part it's you know we have motive we have witnesses we have you know the guy we have the weapon you know there's not really anything that needs to be investigated there um very thoroughly you know i shouldn't say thoroughly but in depth you know it's a pretty um like I said, cut and dry case. Now, if it's somewhere we just find a body in the middle of the woods covered with some branches, uh, we're probably going to call a crime lab, on, crime lab on that one because they have, you know, they have the knowledge, you know, like, oh, the the maggots are this big or whatever. So they, you know, and, and I'm not going to be able to tell you any of that stuff because I just don't get that kind of training. I got gotcha. you. So your agency is pretty big fucking county, limited resources. How many homicides have, in the few years that you've been there have you guys come across? I have I have personally done two. Wow. I mean, that's actually not bad. I've talked to some no. guys, not on the podcast, but they've said, oh, yeah, I've worked 20 years and been the one where, I mean, man, it seemed like there's a couple of weeks in my career. I went to a couple, you know, and obviously working in a big city, I wasn't doing a whole lot, but watching the scene. Well, I should say one was a pretty cut, pretty clear cut one. The other one was a suspected homicide, but we, after investigating it, found out that it wasn't. I should specify that. Yeah, no, I don't do that. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned that you were you do some corner stuff too. Is that part of your sheriff's duties, or is that something separate? It's it's it, the sheriff is the coroner um, in a lot of counties in, in um, Montana. So okay, usually the 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 um, deputies are also deputy coroners, um, but it's not something that is just given to you. You know, you kind of have to show that you aren't you know, a, a complete idiot before <laughs> getting handed that job. Now, is that kind of the same thing where if it's like a very obvious death and you guys would handle that investigation 
but if it's something maybe a little hinky then or there's maybe more to it then you guys would have somebody to come in and help yeah yes yes yeah that kind of just falls into like the homicide thing if we get to a point where like this might be a homicide and we don't have the resources to like fully investigate it we'll 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 hand it off at that point just because uh, i mean i'll be like i said it's not that i don't think i could do it it's just that i don't have the stuff that i need to do it i at some point i need to get somebody in that's like really deep into the murder stuff because something that always interests me is you know sometimes you have these folks that have been down for a while and it's maybe like kind of expected. So, you know, they're not going to do an autopsy or anything. And I always wonder, man, like, is there some family member out there that like, you know, poison their food or whatever, that's going to get a whole bunch of insurance money? Because I mean, especially in a big area, you can't do a fucking autopsy on everybody. It would, I mean, you just don't have the resources to do it. I'm yeah, sure it happens. No. It's, it's some like, so especially with um, uh, senior homes, like we really take, care um we pull fluids from almost every body <laughs> um have you ever seen uh, a coroner pull fluids no i'm good <laughs> i want i want to talk about this it's not good. something i had any idea existed um but when you die you need to be be, be prepared for the fact that somebody's probably going to put a needle in your eye come on why do you have to fucking tell everybody that <laughs> i it blew me away i just i didn't know that at all you know and, and so I, I i feel like it's a really interesting fact um it, yeah so the the fluid in your eye um will if you're like had like an od or something like that is a is a really good way to find out um and so we will stick a needle through the um uh, the, the iris of your eye from the side and into your pupil and pull the, the juice of your eye out. And unfortunately, <laughs> if it, depending on how uh, dehydrated and stuff you are, your eyeball might kind of collapse. And that's something that's terrifying and nobody ever should see. Uh, I have, I got something. <laughs> <laughs> that was about my reaction no, the first time god. i saw it no god please no 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 ain't nobody got time for that all right i think i'm done now <laughs> that was about my reaction the first time i saw it i was not prepared like my my guy he's he pulls out a needle my 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 brother in Christ, he pulls this needle out and he, and he sticks it in the eye. And I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, <laughs> and just collapses these eyes. And I was like, what the fuck? So yeah, it's, it's terrifying. So now everybody, when you die, um, your eyeballs are going to get clapped. So be prepared. You didn't have to say it again. Like <laughs> you didn't have to say it again. You know, there are some people that are really, can handle dead people. I yes. am not one of those guys. Like I actually, to be completely fair, I avoided law enforcement for a little bit because I knew that was something that was going to happen. And I, I just didn't want to deal with dead people. And then you get older and you kind of accept things as they are. And so I, you know, the maturity level allowed me to be like, well, it just kind of is what it is. It's fine. But then there's a whole nother level of it where guys are like really guys and gals are really into that shit. And I don't know what the fuck's wrong with y'all and y'all need help. 
I I actually kind of agree. Like there are people who deal with dead bodies in this job, and I'm like, dude, you you should not be this nonchalant about it. I mean, I'm not, you don't have to be throwing up, but uh, you know, it's not a Tuesday afternoon. You know, it's a uh, this is a this is a dead person who was born and lived and and had experiences and emotions and you know lost their virginity and and, and hopefully in a good way and you know and, and you're just gonna sit there and eat a sandwich you know it's always kind of weird for me to see that it was weird where you went with the loss of virginity thing we're just gonna move on from that there's, a, there's some internalized issues there i'm not gonna go there but are you a virgin still i'm sorry um so <laughs> Like, aren't we all? Isn't that every cop, every cop a virgin still? I thought that was a requirement. Hey, man, four for four. That's all I can say. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fucking sinner, man. I only have sex to bear children. <laughs> this took an odd turn. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to pop your cherry, pun intended. I have a new question on the podcast. We're going to try it out here and see where it goes. What type of cop are you? Because I know there's cops that are, you know, into interdiction or into, you know, just handling calls for service. So they like investigating or whatever you're, you're, whatever you're into, what, what are you into? Well, when you, when you screened me for this, as I informed you at that time, I am a TikTok cop through and through. I will always be a TikTok cop. I forgot you said that. I almost canceled the podcast when I saw that. And I was like, oh, he's kidding. He's kidding. I, I was not kidding. I fucking hate you. The podcast is over. <laughs> How dare you? I think hey, okay. I think well, I am not actually a TikTok cop. There are cops on TikTok that are pretty damn hilarious. I have to say that. Okay, so I think there is a difference between TikTok cops. There's clearly a difference in quality, and it depends on what they're doing, too. Like, um, you know, my dude, Officer Parker, that was on a while back, he does some stuff on TikTok. But it's not necessarily your traditional singing, dancing, although he has been guilty of that a few times. Um, he just fucking comes in and fucking straight, straight shooter fucking says what it is. There's guys like that that I appreciate. My good friend, Unhitched Ability, who's early on in this season. I don't, you know, I don't like everything he does, but some of the shit he does is funny. But what really irks me is the like, look at me shit and like biting yes. lips and like, I, I don't, I cannot fucking that stuff i can't wrap my head around with. The, like the ones that my um, they guys. act out the the stressful sad calls you know um on the videos those are ones that i'm like dude no i think everyone in this world even me i'm obviously there's some form of attention seeking i just feel like it's gotten fucking out of control now where yeah. everyone seeks validation and that tiktok's a new way to seek validation and it's not a healthy way to seek validation. I 100% agree. But to get back to your original uh, question, um, what kind of cop I am, that, like I said, I, I wear a lot of, of hats, um, not 8.1s, because I'm not douchey. Um, but I'm going to fucking do... end you right now. You shut the <laughs> fuck up. Don't talk about my hat like that. <laughs> Um, I, you know, it's hard for me to say, I honestly, I'm like a jack of all trades and I'm not trying to say that to, to inflate my own ego. I just do everything. I, like I said, I, I the coroner details, um, I am uh, the armor for my department. I am the closest thing to an SRO, um, in my whole department. And the thing about that is we only have one, we have, uh, one, two, three, four, five, we have five schools 
in my county and I do all the school stuff for four of them because only one of them has a full-time SRO. Dang. So I do all of the stuff I do. I meet the second and third graders. I meet with the seniors. I do it all. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm this, I, I do a lot. I, I don't know. I'm kind of, I, you know, and honestly, like with my military experience and stuff, I get called for a lot of the, the higher um, danger calls as well. Um, so, you know, I just, I, like I said, I, I guess I would say I'm a, a jack of all trades, but I do enjoy doing interdiction. Um, and I enjoy um, doing the SRO stuff as, as, as much as some people make that a, a joke at, at times. I think honestly, it depends on what the SRO position entails and who the SRO is, because I think there's actually people that do care about the kids and actually pay attention and take ownership of the school. And then I think there's guys that, take that job for the hours yes and obviously that's a big city thing but that's that's a story for a different day i want to talk about interdiction a little bit because it seemed like you had a little bitch about some of the stuff going on in the interdiction <laughs> world a little bit and so i i'm not really sure where you're going with this so I, i'm curious what you have to say so i follow i will i listen to the street cop podcast um i want to go to one of his trainings eventually but i haven't and he seems pretty legit but then i get these ads all the time for these people and i mean like their backgrounds are straight out of like an 80s actions movie they're like you know he, he was a you know you have to do like the deep commercial you know voice you know he's like, he was a Navy SEAL in Vietnam and a Navy SEAL in Afghanistan. And then he became an LAPD SWAT officer and he personally saved the president three times. You know, it's like, and, and he caught 30 million pounds of cocaine. It's like, dude, I don't believe any of this shit. Like, there's no way this is real. And then you like, listen to what the guy has to say. And he's like, yeah, so like sometimes people go from the South border to the North border and they have drugs and you have to find them. And it's like, okay, that helped me out absolutely zero percent at doing my job thanks for nothing thanks yeah. Bin Laden. yeah so i have kind of an interesting take on street cop um obviously dennis is a good dude i've worked with him before and i've been on his podcast and kenny's been on mine kenny williams the street cop he's their interdiction guy i think he's fucking great just not to like get into the brass tacks of it but I, there's some stuff in street cop i'm not like the biggest fan of currently that's just me. You guys make your own decisions, but there's a lot of people, there's a lot of new training companies out there. In fact, there's several of them that I've promoted on my page where guys have reached out and they said, Hey, we're starting this company. We want to get it out, you know, our, our message out there. And I look through their shit and it all, you know, I, I'm not a cop. I haven't been to their training classes, but I've had several companies come on. And I think there's a niche out there right now where there's a lot of people, I guess, vying for that space because policing is kind of this weird place right now where we're kind of in that defund, but now we're maybe we're coming out of it and now we're training our cops. And so I think I think there's a lot of different people kind of fighting for who's going to come out on top of as far as being like the premier training company, because police one, you know, got a lot of people use police one for their basic stuff, but like to me, a lot of the police one stuff is fucking regurgitated garbage. It's not, it's trash. I, I'm, I think it's good. There's all these training companies coming out there, but then I think you kind of hit on something interesting. There's going to be people that take advantage of that, that are just 
doing it to maybe make a quick buck that actually don't care and aren't giving out good information. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, I agree. I, uh, I think that, that the, it seems to be some snake oil salesmen, um, who are just trying to get some training money, but don't actually like they, they have like all these great, uh, you know, uh, experiences and certifications and stuff. Um, but it, what they're con there's, it's all, it's like a cult leader, you know, they tell you exactly what you want to hear, but nothing that has any actual value to it, no actual substantialness to it. You know what I think could be a good, that was, that was on point, the cult leader thing. Um, <laughs> I would caution everybody before you sign up with the training classes, do a little bit of research on them. I mean, there's so many areas where you can check in and, you know, read reviews on these classes and all these things. So always, always vet whoever you get your information from. Uh, obviously, you know, you wouldn't want to get information from a podcast like mine, even though I, I feel like I know what I'm talking about. Look guys, I haven't been on the road for like a year. So things change quite a bit and I'm not in your state. So I may not have the most up-to-date case law and things like that. So it's the trust me, bro thing kind of doesn't work anymore. So be careful on, uh, where you put your trust, especially when that trust can be like the, like a life and death difference difference or B potentially somebody's giving you shitty advice and you get in trouble for it. So word of the wise. Amen. A, preach. preach it. Take advice from a drunk guy in his basement, making a podcast. <laughs> and, and some, some dude who doesn't know what job he's going to do from year to year. You know what? Variety is the spice of life. All right. <laughs> I appreciate a guy that has a little bit of life experience because you've lived a life, man. You've done all this shit before you got into law enforcement and you can, even though it's not specific always to law enforcement, you can bring experiences to law enforcement. I think law enforcement, I'm going to go on my fucking soapbox again with this law enforcement bubble. Here we go. Here it comes. <laughs> Is We have this bubble in law enforcement and it's all we know. And we think we know everything, man. There are some lessons from the outside world the business world that could be learned in law enforcement that could make things so much better. Like I looked at my agency and sure some of these people in leadership positions had been to college and, you know, had bachelor's degrees and shit like that. But to me, in my humble opinion, college is very minor life experience. You know, it's basically like expanded high school. Um, I, I think a lot of experience comes from being out in the real world and experiencing things and experiencing real failure, not failing a test, but actual failure and actual success. And at my agency, I, I would just see so much waste and stupid stuff because people were making decisions with no life experience and not thinking outside of the box or the bubble. And, you know, it's a whole cliche thing of, well, this is the way we've always done it. Oh, that's that so thing. bad in law enforcement man that's so bad in law enforcement and yeah like i'm the dude that wears eight point hats so like somebody's like that sounds like brass to me fuck you and your hats all right i like my hat <laughs> you fucking look like a slob in your hat that's fine but that's one thing the old timers had right i'm just saying look it looked neat <laughs> neat Jeez, i just man. think it's neat that's just that marge simpson meme i just think it's neat <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I like it. But, <laughs> but seriously, like, I just, I think I've told the, ta the story about like the tables and they're like, well, we're going to spend a bunch of money on tables. Why spend a bunch of fucking money on gear. We actually need I don't fucking care what our briefing room looks like. 
um, just waste, like the waste of money that, you know, somebody that's maybe had some experience in the private sector, if they got into brass and they actually cared about taxpayer money, they would use resources better. Law enforcement gets a lot of money. And I, I got to think that there's tremendous waste where we could better use that money because everybody's about funding, 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 funding. But are we looking at what we're actually spending money on? You know, are we spending money on fucking chairs and tables, but we're not giving our guys proper gear? That kind of shit. Um, yeah. Real life experience, I think, is such a huge thing. And it, it helps you communicate with people, man. That's, that's one of the biggest things in law enforcement, man, is if you can actually talk to somebody, you can calm them down, you can deescalate, you can get information from them quickly. And everybody's guilty of it. But how many people have been on scene with somebody yelling and screaming and then, you know, you're yelling and screaming back or they're yelling and screaming back. And it's just a yelling match where, you know, if you've worked a customer service type job, maybe you have that experience to like, Hey, hold, all right, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you calm them down and then get the information. Even though it may seem like it takes a minute screaming and yelling at them, probably not going to get the information either. It's like madness, right? Try, try different things. I'm just, I'm just saying, don't get stuck in your, your bubble obviously by being safe. I'm going to leave my soapbox now. You're all welcome. <laughs> We're all better for it. No, you're no, I, I, I fully agree. I, you know, some of the worst cops that I've ever met were ones who had only ever gone to college. And I, and I, I think that's such a stupid requirement to have because it applies to the military. It applies to a lot of jobs where I've been at, where if the only thing that they've done is college, they are not ready for this job. Yeah. I, I 110% agree. I've seen plenty of folks come in as basic officers that their only life experience, they're 21, 22, only been to college. Now, some of them turn out great, but their mm -hmm. first couple of years are rough because they just have not had real life experience. We've talked about, you know, 18 year olds being cops in some of these states. That's fucking unreal to me. I don't know. Different story, man. We're going to stay. We're going to stay on topic because that's what we've done all podcasts. <laughs> we're killing it. Killing it. Good, sir. What's the state of policing in Hannah, Montana? Is the job dead? It is not. Um, I feel like it's one of the, when I listen to other people tell their stories and, and how you talk about yours and stuff, I, I feel sorry for you guys. What Montana, what I say is Montana is a hard state to be a cop because it has one of the most, it has the enhanced right to privacy. Um, they're super freedom based, you know, they, uh, they, they, they protect people's rights, but I, I think that that's necessary. I think that that's something, especially in today's world where everybody wants big government and stuff. It's, they're real big on, you know, cops can't just do whatever they want. When I hear people talking about Terry stops and stuff, I just think to myself, like I would knew, I would never, cause the whole thing would get thrown out. It's not going to happen. Um, I, so it's hard to do our jobs quickly and that's frustrating, but we can still do our jobs and people respect the police here. Um, people still like us generally. You, you know, there's quite a few like free men and stuff like that, that you you'll deal with, but 90% of the people in Montana like law enforcement and respect them. And the, the judges and County attorneys are usually pretty good. Every now and then you get a dud though. Well, let me, let's jump back to Terry though, because when I think of a Terry stop, and I know Terry applies to a lot of things in law enforcement, so nobody fucking re at me, but 
when I think of Terry, I just think of a very like, and I think it depends. Terry to me is like a city thing. I, I know it applies in other places, but I just think working in a city, you just have more of the things that apply to Terry, but I'm going to try and make a Terry example out of being in Montana. You get a report of a barn theft, right? And <laughs> a barn a, or a, a barn burglary. You can't steal a whole <laughs> barn. That would be, that would be very heavy and inconvenient. I'd but be impressed. So, I wouldn't want to fight that guy. Yeah. So yeah, the, like the Hulk essentially. So this guy <laughs> breaks into a barn. You have information that there's possibly guns were taking, taken out of this barn, like a little 22 or something. Right. So you get a description of the guy that broke into the barn, potentially stole a 22. It's not confirmed. You're driving down the County road, getting there. And you're like, Holy shit. Um, there's a guy in a raccoon skin hat and he's got a big jacket on. Could you stop him based on the description and do a pat down for weapons? Because there's a report. And I know this is a fucking super vague thing. I'm making this up as I go. So don't fucking get weird on me, but would you feel comfortable searching that guy for weapons based on the information? Hey, he matches the description of this, this burglar. And I know a weapon was potentially taken. So essentially if I did that in this state, let's say I, I did search him. Everything that I found on his person before I got a warrant or before I had placed him under arrest would be inadmissible in court in Montana. Really? Yes. It's so, like drugs. So if I do a safety pat down, you know, officer safety, like I stop somebody on a DUI or whatever, and I'm about to do my DUI. Um, if I pull a bag of meth out of their pocket before I've placed them under arrest or anything, can't use it. It's gone. But I get to me, I guess it's on how you're articulating that pat down. Cause I think in a lot of other places, it would be the same thing. Let's, let's stick on the DUI here. Yeah. So you, for Terry to apply, you have to be able to articulate that they were armed or potentially hurt you. Right. Like there has to be some form of articulation why they're armed on a DUI. If they've given you no indication, I know guy, I've seen guys do it where they're like, Hey, you know, it's one of those things where I think maybe guys do it because they're just like, you know what? I may lose the gun, but at least I'm not going to get shot doing these roadsides kind of thing, which that's, I mean, that if you think about it, that is a violation of the fourth amendment, but that I digress. So you're doing your DUI stop. If you just pat somebody down, just based on, I'm going to pat them down because they're going to be close proximity to me without asking consent. I think you would lose that most States. You have to have a reason while, why you think they're armed. Like, I don't know, like in a big city, it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but you know, you bump somebody up or they're wearing, you know, a big winter coat and it's 90 degrees out and it's, you know, July and that's not typical wear for that area. And it's a crime infested area. Then you can search that, you know, you, then you can pat that dude down. I don't think you'll have an issue articulating that based on those factors, but I think on just a DUI stop alone, like you pull somebody over at two in the morning and they're driving drunk. I don't know if you could get into their pockets without something else. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's a fair point. You know, they aren't that we didn't have an indication on why they, uh, why they're armed, but, um, or, well, you know, that we know they're armed, but I guess going back to your original, um, example. So I, what I could do is I could have them like lift up a shirt or whatever and have them do a spin, but I, I couldn't, just pull every gun out of their pocket and stuff like that. It, it, I could detain them 
um, until I, you know, find out whether that's actually the person, but I can't take anything off their person. Interesting. I know it's, it's, it's kind it's a Royal pain. Cause I could definitely see that, you know, based on the, the barn theft if information, the guy stole a 22. I could see that being a Terry thing all day long, as long as the description was close and you're like, Hey, this guy matched the description. There's a gun missing. I have a reason to believe that this guy's arm. I think you, in my book, I think you'd be good all day long, but apparently yeah. not in Montana's. So, so Montana has its own constitution. And like I said, and within that, I'm like most States, but within that, it, it says like they, you know, you have an enhanced right to privacy in Montana. So that means that whatever's on your person, I can't, I'm not allowed to just make you, I'm not allowed to just take it off you. You know, it's, there's a lot, there's a certain set of, of, of circumstances before that I have to meet before I can actually take anything from anybody. Well, I think that's any other state though, but. And, and that's true. Yeah. But I was, Montana's really particular about it. So they've turned it up to 11 is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. And, and like I said, I'm not against that. Cause I think that this is America and it's, I'm sorry. I thought this was America. You know, it's, it's supposed to be the land of the free. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm not against it. It makes the job harder and at times a little less safe, but I, I think it's necessary to like maintaining freedom in the country to have states that are willing to say like, no, you can't just do whatever you want. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that sentiment at all, but I also think that, you know, officers shouldn't be put at unnecessary risk. Like if there's like a clear, like, Hey, there's a really good possibility this dude's armed, which I think is great about Terry. Then I think officers should be able to conduct a safety pat down. Now, a pat down is not a search, right? Like you shouldn't be digging into people's pockets on that. You know, you're basically doing a pat down for weapons. So I could see, so that I'm good with all that, but I, I want officers to be able to be safe. So I, and obviously I'm not from Montana, so I don't know all the ins and outs on it. So I'm going to take your word for it, but I just, as a freedom loving motherfucker, I like you know my freedoms. I don't like the government intruding on them, you know, because I, I see goofy states doing all kinds of goofy shit all the time. It, and we're all, I guess, depending on where we're like, I'm very familiar and comfortable with what. Okay, that's not true. I was gonna say I'm comfortable with, with Colorado. Colorado was rapidly changing, but what Colorado was made a lot of sense, like how the laws were and how things worked, open carry, all that stuff. I'm good with that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Not not to go like too far of a dive deep in, in the deep ends, but I'm good with, you know, no government, you know, the government shouldn't be intruding. But I also think that cops, aka the agents of the government out there doing, you know, the things that need to be done because the states made laws that, you know, we're supposed to enforce allegedly. I think cops should have the ability to be safe, too. So I think it's a delicate balance, though. It is. It is. And states like New York and, and California have taken that a little bit too far one way. So one of the things I guess kind of related that we can dive into, I've been trying to ask a little bit about lately. One of the reasons I think cops get frustrated and burnt out and one of the unspoken things, I think we speak of it a lot, but I don't think it's heard on the outside why cops are leaving is kind of the general frustration where you'll put together a good case and it'll just be absolutely destroyed because the people on the other end of law enforcement, quote unquote, aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Is that something you see in Montana? In my experiences throughout my jobs, I've dealt with um, officials that work for the departments that I work with, you know, 
where I present them with a case that's good, that has everything it needs. And, you know, all the elements are there. The evidence is good. And either they simply won't do it because they are too lazy. They're getting close to retirement and they don't want to mess that up or um, they don't know enough about their own jobs to do it. So then, you know, the media and the people get mad that we're not making arrests on things or people aren't getting put in jail for things, even though that's not even up to us. Yeah, that is um, the common thing of you guys aren't doing your jobs. I fucking wish people understood our job. That would be a nice starting point. You know, I'm speaking to the choir here, but cops have no effect on how long people are in jail i mean none well minor minor effect i mean if you do a shitty case that that potentially or you do a great case but that's not always true like cops don't make charging to sit like long term it's not even i don't even think it has to do with our cases anymore i've seen completely bulletproof cases lose because one juror and this isn't an issue this is kind of simply that's a little bit off topic but one juror had one bad interaction with law enforcement and they just absolutely refused to agree yeah and that's i guess that's just kind of our system man i think that's been a thing forever is you know you got to have the jury of well supposed to be 12 but now it's six sometimes but you know your jury of peers that have to make that decision which i think is a beautiful system right yeah Although sometimes you cannot for a judge trial, but that's that's a whole other story. But it's it it's more about when somebody who's supposed to be on your team, you know, somebody who's supposed to be working with you is just outright sabotaging or refusing to do their own job. That's I think you know you can't control what the jury does, but you 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 know you you should have somebody that's working with you in in the attorney's office or whatever whatever system that you have that's actually there to like work with you and not look at you like you're a monkey or an idiot or just be too lazy to do their own job. Uh, in a case of an example that I had, um, I had an attorney who in a job that I worked uh, without getting in specifics um, that was trying to dismiss a case because I pulled over a guy that I had previously dealt with that had a suspended license. Um, and I got all this other stuff on him and then he never showed up for court. Then he had a warrant put out for him. Um, and he got the warrant, arre- he got, he got the warrant removed. But anyways, I knew that for a fact that he wasn't driving. I knew for a fact that he was driving suspended and I ran him before I pulled him over again. But there's a, there's a state law or there's a case law that says, and I think it's like Kansas versus vegan somewhere in there, something like that. Um, that says that if we can, you know, articulate that we know, you know, the person and we, and we know for, you know, that they're driving and, and you're, that they're in the car or whatever, we can pull somebody over. Um, you know, if we have reasonable suspicion, Kansas free Glover. Glover. Yeah. Um, and we can, so we can pull somebody over if we have reasonable suspicion to believe that they're in the vehicle and, and, you know, and that we've, you know, and, and we know that they've, that they're suspended or whatever, something like that, you know, and he didn't, he just like refused to, you know, this person refused to, to even like look into what I was explaining to him on how I could make that stop. Yeah. That's frustrating. I, it to play devil's advocate, I don't necessarily agree with that. I do like the idea of the prosecutor's office, I think needs to be a separate entity. You know, I don't think, I think it's good to work together, but I think it's good to have like an extra layer of, you know, cause I think what's. Cause cops are, cause we want to, cause we're aggressive and we want to get stuff. And, and sometimes we get a little overzealous. No, not quite. I, that. I, I mean, I just think it's, 
not that I like different layers of government, but I think it's good to have like a, a, another voice looking at something or another set of eyes looking at something. But I think another thing that cops don't really understand, and I really should get a prosecutor on there, is prosecutors have kind of a whole different lens they have to look through as far as like prosecuting cases. And I don't want to dive too much into something that I've, I, I don't know a ton about, but like we have like our whole standards as far as PC reasonable suspicion, all, you know, all that good stuff, it leads to arrest. And then they have their whole side of like, they have to have like, I don't want to butcher this, but they have to have like a reasonable, it has to be reasonable that they're going to get a conviction or they could be disbarred or something. I don't know how it works. I really should get a prosecutor on and there's somebody that I've been trying to get and I don't know what's going on with that, but at some point I will have a prosecutor on, but I think here the soapbox is coming. Soapbox is coming back out everybody. <laughs> Number two, here we go. Number two. And I'll make, try to make this short like I do at home, but the point that I'm trying to make here is that I think sometimes on the law enforcement end, we don't necessarily understand what the prosecutor's job is, but then the prosecutors who have never been in a police car, they don't understand what our job and what our stresses is, stressors are, even though, you know, they think they know, I don't think they actually know. So I think on one side, it's good to have kind of two separate entities that look at things maybe with a different view. But I also think that law enforcement and the prosecutor's office don't actually understand, they don't understand the different ways we look at things and why we look at things. And so I think that can cause some conflict. Now, with that said, you know, now that I went on this big wide rant of defending prosecutors, there's some fucking god awful ones that suck. Yes. Soapbox gone. You're welcome. <laughs> Putting it away. Maybe for the whole podcast. Um, so, you know, once you've, the, I guess, and that's what's so frustrating is, is once you've, if, if you've successfully navigated your, your, your bad um, prosecutor, uh, now you've run into the issue of having a judge who just cares about getting reelected. Let, let's talk about that in Montana. Is that a bigger, like a big deal for a judge to get elected? Because I feel like in Colorado, they're not going against anybody. They're basically like, hey, should we retain this judge? There's not like judges elections. Is that something that happens in Montana? That is something that happens here. We have judge elections. Um, and I mean, they don't, it's not a bad salary, so it's a job worth keeping. And the thing that they'll always do is they, is they always want to look like they're lenient because people in Montana always want to be like, you know, it, it's uh it's very like a, uh, you know, just a mindset of like, Oh, you messed up this time. And and I'm good with that. Cause you know, I, I feel like um, on, on a lot of things you can usually take like the softer approach and it's fine, but there are times where it's really frustrating. It's like, no, this guy needs to get nailed. And the judge is like, Oh, you know, we'll just, we'll see how it goes, you know? And it's like, no, 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 please don't do that. Um, and one of the things that I've run into is, <laughs> I don't know if I should, this might get too specific. Yeah. Don't, don't fuck yourself. We can yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, I've had, yeah, I had some really frustrating judges. So I, uh, I try to, honestly, I try to figure out what I'm, when I, I try to, um, I should say charge to the, to the judge at this point and to, instead of to, um, what the law says, because, um, I just know what's going to get dismissed and what won't. Yeah. That's super frustrating. And it's funny because, you know, the big city liberal type areas kind of have the same problems, but for different reasons, which I, I think is kind of unique. Now, let me ask you about charging stuff, because this is something that 
I'm trying to ask more about because I think it's it's relevant to what people want to know about a state. But so a typical arrest, like let's say you have a felony arrest that's not a warrant, it's a PC arrest, you have the charges. Can you book them in or do you have to, before getting approval from a judge or anything like that, how's the arrest process work out there? So um, I don't have detention. So I, I'm everything on that, <laughs> on that note. But so if I charge somebody and they're going to jail, um, I will charge them, issue them their NTAs um, and we'll transport them to the jail. And then I have to do a uh, probable cause, a statement of probable cause to hold so um, I essentially, and we use the, the secure warrant system. And if some, and, and if people aren't using that system with their judges, they need to, cause it's amazing. Um, but uh, I will send them the uh, statement of probable cause and um, they will decide whether that's uh, I met the, you know, the, uh, the, the elements of the crime, you know, to be able to hold, hold them on my charges, excuse me. But that they have to be they have to be seen by a judge within 72 hours. So they usually see that statement of probable cause b- before they actually see the person. I gotcha. So you don't like before you leave the jail, you don't have to have the PC approved or anything like that. Nope. Wow. That's wild to me. How long? Yeah, it's, uh, how long does that pretty take nice. from start to finish? A probable cause statement? No, I mean, like, so like, you let's say you hook somebody, transport them to jail and do your probable cause how long it's it's unfair for me because i have we don't we don't have an our jail got shut down because it had mold (laughs) so um we we take our people pretty far because we have a deal with a neighboring county but um we uh so for me it takes with me having to do the fingerprints and all the booking stuff and all the charging papers and everything an arrest is looking at like four hours four to five hours Okay, fair enough. Um, let's see here. I got another another question for you. Another question for you. That <laughs> is new, and I'm going to pop your cherry on this. If you could go back in time and tell your younger self to be a cop or not to be a cop, would you do it all over again? Um, I would um, because of the implication. What do you mean by that? you don't watch if you, you don't watch it's always sunny in philadelphia no i'm so far behind on it's sunny man i <laughs> me and my wife started it sorry i ruined your joke we started it years ago and then we had kids and we we have a pact i hope i mean i know she watched breaking bad without me but we have a pact to watch it together again someday but we just we haven't had time to watch it again so i'm like years behind on sunny I get it. I'm in that same boat too. All right. Well, it's too bad. Um, yeah, I would, I, I would go back and tell myself to do it, but I knew from the time I was probably six that this is what I wanted to do when I grew up and I never really gave up on it. So it wouldn't be hard to convince me. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, the, the days where I get to get a bad guy off the street or get to save somebody makes all the, the BS days worth it. So here's the second new question. Wouldn't this be like the third? The, sorry, I can't count. This is the <laughs> third new question. <laughs> if you're out with like friends and family, and we know how it is, right? Somebody's like, oh, you're a cop. You got a good story. I, I have many people ask, like, why don't you ask people for a war story? And it's because I know as a cop, I hated being asked about war stories. Um, but the people, I guess, like hearing them. Do you have a good story? 
that you would, you know, if somebody asked, oh, you know, you're a cop, what's something weird or cool you've seen? You got a good story you tell people? I, I've got plenty. I've got some good ones. Um, we'll go off with a funny one. And this one's morbid. I want to warn people like now, like trigger warning. If you don't like dead people, you're not going to enjoy this. But... Oh, here we go again. <laughs> get my buttons um, ready. I, I got called to a, a neighboring department. They needed help lifting um, a guy that was deceased. And this was a while ago. And, and, and um, it's not my case, not anything I'm involved with. So there's like, you, there's no need to be outraged about any of this, but um, the, this gentleman died um, in a basement with a very um, small uh, stairway leading down to the basement. And this was a very, very, large person i mean six foot six um 380 pounds something like that very very big person and it took six people to lift this person and he unfortunately died in the nude and yeah and we couldn't um put him in a bag because he was too big for the bag so we had we had to just carry him out of the stairs um and unfortunately he had swollen um pretty substantially in the time that he was deceased and a certain part of his body in the groin area had extensively swollen um and a guy who was out with this department that no god please no 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 i forgot how long that was (laughs) sorry (laughs) i forgot how long it goes um uh, yeah a person no not mine not mine mine she does not say that at all um a person who was new at this department just like in fto like he was there helping us and um while we were lifting him up the stairs he kind of fell to one side and the guy that the, this brand new rookie got slapped in the face with this particular set of organs oh. while we were trying to carry him up the stairs and just starts incoherently screaming. And I have never felt so bad for a person in my entire life. D- no. That's... And he quit. He quit law enforcement entirely two days later. I don't fucking blame him. I don't fucking blame him at all, man. Fuck that shit. Dude, I was so fucking spoiled with body snatchers. I didn't have to touch a dead body. I helped occasionally, very occasionally. But something like that ain't no fucking way. No way. No fucking way. Well, what was horrible about it is you know, you're trying to help the guy, but you're also trying not to laugh at the poor guy, you know? <laughs> and we don't have the benefit of like having a team that can come and get bodies. Like we, we have one guy who shows up with a gurney and we have to get the body from the, from the building to the gurney. And so that's, it's always, there's always struggles that come with that. Um, but to this day, that one is one of those, that's one of those moments that will stick with me forever. And we oh, had a, oh. it, it, and we had another crazy call. Um, it was when I was relatively new to my department. Um, and we, uh, we got a, we got a call and we got three nine one one calls and the location was 
it was in the same kind of area, but they couldn't hear anything and it immediately disconnected when they answered. So they sent me out there to kind of find what was going on. And um, it was in this area where there were a lot of old mining claims. And uh, we, one of the search and rescue, I do search and rescue stuff as well as part of my department. Um, and one of the search and rescue guys that was there was like, well, I wonder if somebody's in a mine because and then that was confirmed through dispatch because later they said that they got a, they got somebody on the phone for like three seconds who said something about a mine so we knew we were looking for one of the old mining claims um and we and this is in the dark i mean this is at like 12 a.m it's pitch black i didn't know the area very well and we just barely by some act of god find this mine um and there's this car parked above it so we're like maybe this is the one and um this mine had collapsed while this person was inside of it and uh myself and a couple other deputies went in there you know to to see if we could find the guy and while we're in this mine you know you can hear it shifting and, and moving and you know dirt's falling in other places and stuff and we actually located the guy but there was a wall of dirt between us and him but we could kind of communicate um and so we we basically told him like hey man like we can't dig you out but we're gonna figure out a way to do it um and eventually you know and i'm sitting down there and i'm like this is how i die like you know I, this is it you know after everything um this is the end <laughs> but we managed to get out of the out of the mines ourselves and we kind of, you know, we're sitting there near, you know, near the entrance and we had to pull back a little bit to get phone service, but we start getting mine rescue teams um, on the way to get this guy out. And the, the soonest ETA that we have is like four days. And our understanding was this guy had like a crushed pelvis. And so we were, and we were talking about, we're like, well, we're probably going to end up, you know, with a, with a deceased person, you know, and, and, that's, it was super unfortunate and we were all really depressed that that's how that was going to end. But then all of a sudden out of the blue dispatch hits us up and goes, Hey, so that guy that was in the mine, he just called and said that he's out. And it was pretty much, it was pretty unbelievable in the minute. It was like, how the hell, you know, we, we thought that it was somebody joking. Somebody heard us on a scanner or something that was messing with us. Um, and it turned out that he had actually, when we left him and, hadn't come back for like about an hour he pulled himself out of the the dirt and went down a, went backwards in the tunnel and then came back up a different way and then dragged himself all the way to where his car was parked <laughs> and um we go running over there and we're i mean it was like holy shit you know how the fuck did you get the hell out of there and this is where I'm going to ruin this story um, for everybody. Cause like, you know, oh, that's awesome. Like everything that could have went right. You know, we, he somehow got these 911 calls out from underground. We somehow found this mine in the middle of nowhere at night. We somehow figured out that where he was within the mine, he somehow got himself out of this mine that he was trapped in. He somehow dragged himself back to the car and we thought that he had broken his back. That's what we thought. So we life flighted him all the you know, out of the, out of the location. I had to do a helicopter landing in the field and everything. And it turned out that the whole reason he was down there was to smoke some joints and drink some beer. And he had not a single injury on him and could have gotten himself out of the mind at any time. Welcome to law enforcement. <laughs> does that, I mean, like, does that not ruin the whole, uh, the whole no. story? Isn't that like watching a movie where the ending ruins everything? <laughs> you mean like lost? Like lost? Yes, exactly. 
Oh, fucking lost. I to go back to the dead guy story real quick, and I've mentioned it before, and I'm gonna fucking mention it again. Dead weight is a real fucking thing. Oh my god! Holy shit! When you're training like firefighter carries and stuff, you never realize how much your buddy's actually helping you. Yeah, I just, dude, holy fuck! I, why didn't you guys just put like a blanket over his pecker or something though? We. <laughs> We, we had a sheet, but the sheet kind of just slipped out Ugh. and fell off to the side when we initially picked him up. And we didn't want to put him down to readjust because of how heavy he was. Um, and so we were just like, okay, we'll just get him up. We'll just get him up. And it was kind of a, a rush thing. Um, and I could go into more detail on it, but I don't want it just in case. Nope, like, we're good. We're yeah, totally but, good. It's fine. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, it, it's one of the, I just, the look on that poor guy's face with the, with the set of testes just smacking them in it was it was terrible that's, that's a bad day i don't blame that dude for quitting at all <laughs> dude, dude i would honestly to this day i wonder what that guy's doing now you know <laughs> nothing with dead people i guarantee that he probably works at a fucking uh, mortuary now <laughs> yeah maybe that unlocks some inside of him you know <laughs> yeah never mind that could go in so many directions <laughs> that's but gonna go to some bad places we're not going there tonight no 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 we are not <laughs> i was gonna go off on a fucking i was gonna bring a soapbox out i think but i, I forgot so that's probably for the best <laughs> was it about this... quitting when you have a horrible experience on like one of your first days jesus that's that's <laughs> really bad man i don't blame him at all oh i know where i was gonna go it's a very short soapbox i won't even bring the whole soapbox out just part of it one of my motivations to lose weight is at some point, and hopefully I'm not down here in the dungeon because I'll be a fucking pain in the ass to pick out of the dungeon if I die. But I want to be not so fat that you gotta you have to think about like, you know, if you're motivated, you know, to look good when you're naked or like so you can be a good cop or whatever, that's all good. But at some point you're gonna die and you don't want to be that guy that's super heavy to carry out of a building where you're nuts smack some rookie cop okay just throwing it out there <laughs> maybe that's the goal for some people though you know <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna they're gonna get one last you know fuck you in before they go <laughs> no come on man ain't nobody got time for that all right let's let's lighten the mood a little bit here buddy what is the best patrol car of all time well i know what you want me to say uh <laughs> which would be the crown Vic but I want to say the Ford Fusion <laughs> have you driven one is that a real question have you driven one have you driven a Ford Fusion patrol give car give your balls a tug you Ted fucker no I have not driven a Ford Fusion <laughs> come Dude, on with the, with the Ecoboost talking- what are we, that car is amazing what are as a cop car what are we talking about where is there a ford fusion cop car it's are we i mean oh, shit am i fucking it up <laughs> now you got me down myself hold on real quick let me make sure i'm talking about the right car we had two of them and a they ford are the best fusion. cars we had a ford fusion yes come on i currently have a dodge durango how are those? Yes, the Ford Fusion. That's what I'm thinking with. So I like the Durango. I wish I had the V8 for the speed. 
maybe I think my department doesn't like it because of the gas mileage. So I have a V6, but I like the size of it and I like that I can fit all my shit in it. And it's relatively fast for its size, but the fusions, man, those things can haul ass. They get good gas mileage. They're big enough that you don't feel like you're cramped in there all the time. Um, they've got turbos. I'm telling you, like, I think that's the superior cop vehicle. I can't believe what I'm hearing right now. Like I, I, it doesn't even like, I can't fathom it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, people are going to say I was ahead of my time. That's what they're going to say. All right. I'm like Tesla right now. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Comparing <laughs> yourself to Tesla. Okay. <laughs> so, so buddy, here's where we're going to end tonight. And it, to go kind of full circle, we talked about this early in the podcast about it, not intentionally. It wasn't really, it just kind of came up naturally, but about people not really appreciating their situation. You're, you're, you're going through a lot of stuff right now and listening to the podcast. I don't think people would realize that. So I'll kind of give you the floor to let you talk about it. Yeah. Um, so obviously I'm a deputy and my wife is a dispatcher. So we're both within the um, you know, first responder community. Um, and I have four kids and my youngest kid was born at 27 weeks, um, back in 2020. And so she had to stay in the NICU for four months. Um, and luckily we came out of that and we had some, you know, she was developmentally a little behind, but for the most part, we were doing good. Um, and then, um, February of this year, we were informed that my daughter had T-all leukemia. So that's T-cell um, advanced lymphocytic leukemia or something like that. And so we are currently uh, driving on our days off about six hours away to receive our chemo treatments and stuff every single week. Because unfortunately, the state I live in does not have the uh, resources needed to deal with the child of her age and her medical complexity um, with cancer. And so, you know, I, I'm a proud person. I hate taking any help from anybody. I tried doing it on my own. Um, and we ended up taking donations um, simply because it's so expensive to drive that far. And we don't get you know, our insurance is paying the bill for a lot of the medical stuff, but there's no, re there's, we don't get any help with travel costs or anything like that. So, um, we're just trying to make it through and, um, get that done. And, and hopefully, uh, everything turns out well, it, most of the time leukemia in children, um, is treatable and usually the kids come out. Okay. Uh, and that's the outcome that we're hoping for. I think it's one of those things where, and I need to be better about saying it, but we all, this community, even though I just bitched about it being, you know, inclusive, we don't like get outside of our bubble, but it's important that we take care of each other too. I mean, there's so many people out there in a law enforcement community that you would never know, you know, are going through such a, a thing, man, because they just go out and help their community. You know, they never, a lot of folks in law enforcement, they, they kind of wear that chip on their shoulder, right? And you kind of mentioned that too, like, Hey, I'm proud. I'm going to fucking, you know, do this on my own. But I think we all got to be there for each other, you know? And, you know, obviously if you're in a position to help, you know, I'm going to, I'll put the link to the GoFundMe on this, but 
it's important to me that, you know, we're taking care of each other. So. And uh, I really appreciate you asking me what you could do for me. And I really appreciate anybody that gives anything. Um, a lot of people have donated to us um, and we tried to live off what was given to us. Um, and, but it's just without bad gases right now and stuff, it just got all eaten up. Um, so anybody that gives anything, I appreciate it so much. And I appreciate you, you glorious son of a bitch for just letting me even say anything on here at all. No, man. I mean, and you, you, I just, you didn't ask either. You're just like, Hey, I'm going through this. And I was like, well, fuck that, man. We're going to help you. So, uh, I'm calling on the millions, man. Let's, let's help our brother out and let's get him some help. Because uh, I, you know, being from the western part of the United States, I know the drive to Utah is not close from Montana. It is. It's uh, it's twelve hours round trip currently for us, and it's not all beautiful. Some it is not all. It's, there's not a large a, portion of Idaho in there. So, man, what does that tell you? I thought Idaho was a beautiful state. Or is that, Northern Idaho. Oh, uh, okay. The rest of Idaho is just trash. It's a flat, barren wasteland. No potatoes? Well, that's where all the potatoes are. Well, it's not a Have wasteland. That's where we get freedom plant? fries. That's where we get freedom fries, buddy. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Besides the potatoes. Okay. <laughs> besides the potatoes. That's like half of my fucking <laughs> nutrition besides the potatoes. <laughs> no, but seriously, man. Uh, the millions of you out there, let's, uh, let's help our, our brother out. Well, buddy, I think we've come to the conclusion of the podcast, and I'm like many of my podcasts down here in, in Iowa. There's severe weather impending, and my kids will probably come down here crying at some point. So, do you have any imparting words of wisdom for all the millions of people that listen? Don't get slapped in the face with balls. Jesus. And and, and, and cancer sucks. Yeah, cancer does suck. Fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. And I would love to do this again if you ever want me back. I would want nothing more, man. I, uh, you haven't heard it yet because it's not out, but the, the prior podcast was West Virginia, and he represented West Virginia very well. And you, sir, you may have earned yourself a second appearance as well. I do have like 100 <laughs> other people that I'm trying to get to. Again, I, I, I say this a lot. I'm trying, y'all. There's a lot of people. You know what's amazing? In the year that I've been doing this, I have people that have been on the list almost a year now. People kind of disappear off social media, which is disappointing because there were some good people on there. I'm trying my best to get to y'all. We'll, we'll get there. Someday we'll get there, but there'll always be more. Well, buddy, with that said, you guys go out there, help a brother out, and uh, I'll put the link to the GoFundMe on the podcast description. All right. With that said, fuck cancer. Yeah, I love most of you. Bye-bye.